Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As I was saying, if given equal footing on the race issue in our country... This would end almost overnight. Because you can't you can't change bigotry legislatively. You can't change bigotry with rioting. You can't change bigotry with court results. You can't change bigotry in any form or fashion because it's lodged deep in the heart of the bigot. And there are bigots in all races. Good morning, I'm Preston Scott. This is As I Was Saying. And I want to start the program with this because the equal footing comes when you take the time to consider other sides of the story. And we've gotten one side of the story pretty much ad nauseum for a while based on a lot of wrong information, based on a lot of lies, based on a lot of distortions. And I came across, I had a listener send me this, and I haven't shared it on uh, on the morning show. It is a wonderful exchange where a guy who started the walk away campaign, Brandon Straka, who happens to be gay, and this is a gay town hall event, and uh, they're bringing up different topics. And Brandon was a strong left illiberal. And the blinders came off. And he's founded a movement with hundreds of thousands of people leaving the left and coming to the center or the right based on having their eyes open to some truths. Check out this exchange. The debate topic is, where is America going on racism and BLM? And what should we be doing next? And we're going to begin with Gay Town Hall and Taisha. As someone who sits on this panel freely and with consent, representing the black populace, as a black person, I find it really hard to have conversations and see these opinions from people who do not look like me and don't share that lens and that reality of that fear walking out the house and being troubled when I see a police officer down the street knowing that I could be racially profiled at any moment. We're going to move to a walkway. Who's going to begin for two minutes? I will go. Okay. Um, so I just want to start by saying that uh, I may not look like you, Taisha, but I'm just going to give you some numbers, and numbers have no color. They don't lie. So why don't we start with the fact that there are 328 million people in America. There are 41.4 million black people in America, which is 12.6% of the population. Yet 12.6% of the population is committing more than 50% of violent crime in this country. Nine unarmed black men were killed by police in 2019. Nine unarmed. Now, unarmed doesn't mean innocent. Unarmed doesn't mean not a threat. So last year, 0.000022% of the black population was an unarmed black person killed by the police. 
That is why we are burning America to the ground. That is why we are cre uh, creating this false narrative of black people being attacked by police based off of 0.000022% of the black population. This represents 0.1% of all black homicides in the entire year of 2019. A police officer is 18.5 times more likely to be killed by a black man than a black man is to be killed by a police officer. The number of unarmed black Americans killed by police is down 23% since 2015 when Barack Obama was the president. And 93% of black homicides are committed by other black Americans. So if you truly care about black lives, I suggest you get to Chicago because every weekend dozens of black people are being killed by other black people. Wow. As I was saying, yeah, it's, it is good to hear others, in this case, Brandon Straka, a former leftist Democrat illiberal that has led literally hundreds of thousands away from the Democrat Party and away from illiberalism. And I don't care if someone becomes a Republican or not. It doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is not being involved with a party that sanctions and promotes and believes the things that the Democrat Party does. It's indefensible. And for all of you listening that are Dixocrats, it's time to leave the party. It's not going to change. It really is. And Brandon's experience, life experience, is so telling. But here in this LGBT throwdown, he puts on the record facts. And as he said, numbers are colorblind. They're colorless. They don't have color. They just are. And that's why illiberals can't stand sitting down and having a discussion. The young lady he was talking to, stone cold silent. She had nothing to say to that. How could she? The facts are overwhelming. Anyway. We've got a lot of things coming in today's, as I was saying, got our post-millennial. When we come back, I've got Horace Cooper joining me from a conversation earlier in the week that I think you'll find fascinating. Heinz Nurseries is hiring. I've told you that. Still looking for full-time, part-time. Yes, drivers, you don't need a CDL. But Heinz Nurseries, I mean, look, it's it. you got plenty of time to get out in the yard this weekend. Heinz Nurseries has the media that you need for planting a great garden. The Heinz Mix, ask about it. They also have pine straw in bales and rolls. They've got wheat straw. They've got the colors that you need to put a little pop in the landscaping. They've got the different mulches in the different colors, different gravels, and, of course, sod. St. Augustine, Zoysia, and Centipede. So get by Heinz Nurseries, 4140 Bradfordville Road, online at HeinzNurseries.com. Call ahead. And, oh, by the way, they load it up all for you. You don't have to deal with it. Six six eight zero nine six one Heinz Nurseries. What do you want to get done in your yard today or this weekend? All right. Remember, we come back. We've got plenty more as we uh, make our way through another edition of As I Was Saying. Welcome back to As I Was Saying. I'm Preston Scott. Earlier in the week from Project 21, the National Center for Public Policy Research, Horace Cooper joined me 
We had a fascinating discussion about the media and some interesting possibilities. I demonstrated some weeks ago with a series of newspaper headlines that were literally identical in multiple states across several different weeks that the mainstream media was coordinating its news story cycle to coincide with Democrat efforts at legislation. You are contending that this type of media bias could end up in the Supreme Court. Please explain. Well, one of the big issues that our founders had was that they wanted to create a circumstance where the people, the citizens, got the kind of information they needed so that they could hold their government and the other big players in society accountable. When they came up with the First Amendment, one of their goals was to make it less likely that government could take its power and use it to prevent the watchdog role of media from being able to occur. However, over time, what we are now seeing is that instead of continuing a watchdog role, what we're seeing is a cheerleading role. And that cheerleading role is equivalent to picking one particular side over the other. And by picking one side over the other, the American people no longer get the kind of information they need so that they can hold government accountable. Well, why is that an issue? It's an issue because under early First Amendment rulings, the media has been largely held exempt from its accountability when it is operating with bias, when it slanders, when it engages in defamation. If it's not going to continue its watchdog role, there's really no reason why it should operate in a way that you or I can't. We can't slander people. We can't defame people. And yet we can operate freely under our constitutional system. I believe that there is a move coming where the, there are going to be lawsuits and litigation that are going to bring to the fore the question of one of the big Supreme Court decisions, New York Times v. Sullivan, that largely pulled the media into a new role where it can attack, it can defame, but it is very difficult to hold that same media accountable. Horace, explain the New York Times versus Sullivan in layman's terms. What is the most significant aspect of that case that has bearing on where we are today? So the New York Times case, the New York Times v. Sullivan case, came down from the United States Supreme Court in 1964, and it purported to be a fairly simple case. It was a case in which a local paper uh, ran, uh, uh, excuse me, the New York Times ran an advertisement in a local area uh, critical of Alabama and claiming that Alabama's policies were racist and bigoted. It was an advertisement. It wasn't actually a news story. And Alabama sued under their defamation law, saying, wait a second, you can't call us bigoted. You can't call us racist. You've got to actually substantiate these things. The Warren court, the most liberal court that we've ever had, uh, Earl Warren uh, was the chief justice, 
ended up bringing this decision down. And in this decision, the um, uh, Supreme Court said, you can't sue a newspaper unless you can prove that they intentionally defamed you or slandered you. Can't be inadvertent, can't be sloppy journalism, can't be inaccurate as long as the party that was slandered or defamed is somehow prominent or well-known. And that has been the issue that has really, really made uh, litigation against the media more difficult. The more prominent and the more well-known you are, the harder it is to hold media accountable. The question is, since we're now seeing the media rarely slander and defame the right or the conservative or the Republican, how likely is the court going to be able to continue operating a rule that only means that Sarah Palin is slandered but doesn't mean that uh, Ms. Harris, the vice president, is going to be slandered. Therein lies the question, and Justice Thomas on the Supreme Court has already signaled that he sees very little merit to the original decision that was made and sees that it's time for the court to come back to this case and look at it on the same terms that our founders would. If you get it wrong, if you defame, if you slander, you can be held accountable. Could it be broadened, Horace, for example? I'm thinking of NBC editing the 911 call of George Zimmerman. I'm thinking as recently as the case in Ohio where the New York Times and CBS edited the video footage showing the young lady with a knife about to stab another young lady. Well, all of those kinds of cases are exactly the kinds of cases where either the media is sloppy, intentionally defamatory, or has some axe to pick, a grind rather. In any of those instances, under a pre-Sullivan regime, you'd see them being brought to court and forced to answer for what they're doing. I repeat this again. If IBM... If Microsoft, even if Coca-Cola, defames you, they're going to be held accountable. Why is NBC exempt if the person they defame is in some way considered prominent? I had someone share with you the, the interesting video that Project Veritas caught of a CNN producer admitting that Jeff Zucker is on the phone directing what they're doing and that there is an intentional effort to frame the news in certain ways to benefit some and harm others. Is that type of video that Project Veritas is producing, does that become ground zero for a lawsuit? Well, it can. And in fact, uh, if people weren't uh, paying attention to how the Hunter Biden story uh, was quashed, uh, both by the mainstream media and by big tech. The Project Veritas video says, okay, okay, you missed that one. How about this? We're going to have them say it explicitly. This is what they're doing. And this is my point. 
I don't say that you can't not, uh, refuse to cover the Hunter Biden laptop story. I don't say that you can't have a, a position that you are opposed to the existing president of the United States. What I say is, how can then you do those things and claim that the Constitution protects you whenever you step over the line? You can either have it one way or the other, stay within the lines and have constitutional protection, or step outside of the line and not. You don't go and watch a football game and suddenly one of the officials rips off his uh, 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 uniform and he's got one of the team uniforms on, grabs the ball, and spikes it in the end zone. <laughs> that is not considered playing within the rules. Does the same apply to the social media platforms in that they are protected because allegedly they're just a platform, but we have seen they are engaging in editorializing, which doesn't that make them a publisher? Well, it does make them a publisher, but Clarence Thomas said something I think is uh, very interesting, and that is they also are perhaps a public utility. Way back in the early 1800s, the Supreme Court ruled that if you operate a bridge, if you operate a toll road, if you operate a stagecoach or some other facility that uh, is generally open to the public, that you're not allowed to then say, oh, oh, not you, you can't ride. No, not you, you can't cross the bridge. Oh, not you, you can't use this facility. The Supreme Court ruled early on that if you go into certain businesses, you have to take all comers. This is the rule that literally ought to apply to big tech. There aren't really easy ways, as we see with Parler, for all options to be brought in to compete. And so therefore, either they are a publisher or they're a public utility. In any event, they shouldn't be able to pick who can participate and who shouldn't participate. In the current environment we are in, what do you think the odds are that we see some kind of case whether it's Project Veritas, which is filing a lawsuit of defamation against the Times and CNN, or some case find its way through the appellate and to the Supreme Court? Well, you know, the Nick Sandman case was a very good example of how the media has gotten so lax mm -hmm. and so extreme, they forgot. They attacked a person inaccurately slandered and defamed who wasn't prominent. You're going to find cases where people are in the middle ground. They're not a superstar, and they're not a student. And in those cases, the, the court is very likely to have to decide whether to maintain this rule or not. And the point is, with the bias that we're seeing, it's very likely attended our way to a court near you. Wow. It could happen, and I think what Project Veritas is doing is going to pave the way. Pay attention. Visit my blog page. You'll find all kinds of information on it all. WFLAFM.com slash Preston. Back with more, as I was saying.
Welcome back to As I Was Saying. I'm Preston Scott. Great to be with you. Earlier this week, I was really excited to have a chance to talk with FSU head football coach Mike Norvell. He he had a spring football season. Boy, what a difference a year makes, huh? Uh, I'll tell you, you never realize how much you miss a spring practice until you don't have one. And uh, it was definitely enjoyable uh, being able to get back out there, you know, having a having a year under our belt, um, you know, building these relationships and, you know, really setting that standard for, for where we're going. You know, we're excited about what the future holds. Can you look back on the previous year as difficult as it was? What can you gain from a positive perspective of how that year unfolded? No, I think that that year was extremely valuable. Uh, it provided experience. It provided an opportunity to to grow and um, you know just see guys have to fight through adversity. I mean, that was one of the toughest years uh, you know you know beyond you know just what went on on the field, but in, in really all aspects for for a collegiate student athlete, uh, new staff coming in. There were a lot of things that uh, you presented themselves that was outside the norm and. Uh, as we were as we were able to grow together, you know, we had an extremely young team, but the the lessons were were invaluable for what we were able to gain, at, you know, throughout that process. And you know, I do think um, you know, you know, through the adversity, you know, we were able to to grow together, and I think that gave us some uh, great momentum as we headed into this uh, this spring. And our guys have carried uh, carried that throughout. Coach, you know, like a lot of people in the media, I form my opinions based on what I'm able to read and and hear from you. Um, but I don't know you, so let me just ask a question this way: Are you kind of an old soul? <laughs> uh, I, I'm not really sure. Uh, you know, it, it depends, I guess, what what perspective you're taking. But uh, you know, I believe, uh, you know, I definitely believe in a, in an old school uh, old school values and old school approach. Uh, you know, I believe that uh, you know when it comes down to relationships, you know, doing things, you know, you know, to a standard, um, you know, with discipline, with accountability. Um, yeah, at the end of the day, you know, we, we, we like to have those old school values with maybe a new age approach and how we do that. And so, um, you know, I, I really, uh, you know, I love the process. I love uh, the responsibility I have as a coach to help impact these student athletes. And, um, you know, we're, we're excited about the, the growth we're seeing from them. You know, they're on the field as well as off the field and, and who, they're, who they are and what they're becoming. As I've been around sports my entire life in the various capacities that I've been able to to work in and be around through my dad, coach, um, I mean old soul just the way you took it. There are life lessons in adversity that sports allows people to learn in a very different way than any other aspect of life. And the reality is the majority of guys that go through a football program are not going to play for a paycheck uh, long term. They're going to go into other things. And that's where I feel like the last year had to have been invaluable to you in sort of, for, in sort of forging the mentality of what you're going to have this year moving forward. No, absolutely. And, you know, we, we have an all-inclusive program. And it's one that uh, you know, we're going to we're focused on the development of our guys in every area of their life. And uh, you know, anybody can tell you what they want to do and what they want to achieve. Uh, you know, it's you know those dreams and aspirations will always be there. But uh, you know, the, the true opportunity to show it is when adversity strikes. You know, when things maybe don't go your way. And you know, the, uh, I tell our team, you know, the uh, our identity will be defined by the response that we that we show. You know, throughout anything that uh, that that comes our way. And so you're know, building up. Uh, you know, the confidence in the response, you know, and, and that the only only way that can truly come is, is through the work that you're willing to invest. And so uh, it's it's a it's a great process to go through. You know, sometimes it's it's not always fun. 
just uh, with some of the challenges that do present themselves. Uh, but we're building the foundation the right way. And uh, I truly believe that that's what gives you an opportunity to sustain success uh, once you achieve it. And uh, you know, I, d- I definitely feel that we're headed in the right direction. And you've seen some tremendous growth uh, you know, throughout, the last, uh, throughout the last year. Coach, I'm, I'm looking at the non-conference schedule as we move ahead uh, to 2024. And I'm seeing a team. You ever heard of Memphis? Uh, yes, sir. No, uh, you know we're excited about the excited about that game. You know, you'll hear it uh, years ahead, but um, you know it's, I think it's going to be a great opportunity for you know both programs. Uh, you know, a regional game, one that uh, um, you know that's one of the one of the top uh, you know programs in the country that uh, um, you know I've, I've got great familiarity with and respect for. But uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's definitely uh, exciting for for that uh, that game here in the, in the next few years. I'm curious, does a game like that come about because you make a phone call or you make a phone call to the athletic director, David Coburn? Well, you know, I mean, there's one thing that's a benefit of having relationships and, uh, you know, you know, being able to, uh, you know, have, have that you know, communication with the athletic director there at, at Memphis Laird Beach. And then, you know, obviously, uh, as we're looking at our schedule here moving forward, uh, you know, being able to connect, kind of connect the, uh, connect the dots and, uh, you know, you'll be able to, um, you know, explore the different options that are, that are in front of us. I and mean, that's always a, um, you know, a benefit. And, uh, I'm glad we were able to get something you, know, you worked out and, uh, yeah, that'll be a, that'll be a great game uh, when, once we get to that. Mike, we had uh, CEO from Seminole Boosters, Michael Alford, on the program just a little while ago, and we talked about the new Dunlap Athletic Training Center. Um, from your perspective, what are the what are the things you look forward to the most from that? You know, just being able to to provide the resources and and, and the space for our student athletes. Uh, you know, like I talked about, uh, uh, you know, the all inclusive approach. I mean, in in every aspect, the physical development, the mental development. Uh, you know, whether it comes to their their uh, uh, the sports science elements of what we're trying to imply and how they learn and and uh, you know how they're able to to maximize the skills that they have. But but also in in, in other areas. You know, when you take take a, you know, all the opportunities there away from the field and and the professional development uh, you know, I, I believe that's gonna uh, that facility is gonna be able to provide and, and open up so many different avenues for uh, you know for our student athletes to be able to grow and, and maximize the the space and opportunity that they have uh, because you know it is there's uh, you know, definitely some time demands and uh, you know, the efficiency of that is uh, is critical I know you're a micro guy meaning every head coach that I know of still pays attention to the minute details inside the program you have coordinators over the offense defense special teams and so forth but you're paying attention to everything so let me just ask from a from a big picture perspective you know what a winning program looks like that's what you've been part of where is florida state after the spring in preparation for being that program oh i think we're definitely in the heading in the right direction you know there's a it's been uh, we've taken tremendous steps, uh, you know, throughout the course of our, our winter program, you know, spring practice, uh, you're truly seeing a team that's, that's coming together. And the thing, and, and the, the thing that they're focused on is the work that it takes. Uh, you know, like I said, anybody can talk about what they want to achieve. You know, all, all 130 programs in the country right now, we're talking about what's going to happen this year. But if you're not willing to invest the work, if you're not willing to, to, to grow together through the adversity, through the challenges, then you know, it's really just talk. And, uh, but I, I I'm, 
I really like the mindset that our guys are, are starting to show uh, you, even when they know the challenges are ahead. And that's something that uh, you know I, I think is is just a uh, is a developed process, but it's one that uh, you know they're truly embracing. Last question: The media always focuses on the quarterback. That's the nature of the game. But I want to speak more broadly. Just final question: How important have all of the transfers that have come into the program that have experience in good programs? How big of a difference are they making? I think it's huge. I mean, not only what they do on the field, and you know they've all been very productive, but but really who they are off the field and and the the leaders, um, you know, the mindset. You know, any anybody that we bring in this program it has to be the right fit for Florida State. And it's it's you know young men that are, you know embrace the work, that they embrace the relationships, and you know they these guys that have come in have done an incredible job of you know truly getting to know their teammates. Um, you know, they're not sitting there talking about all the things that that just they're going to do, but also what what they can do for others and you know that's shown up really well on the field and in the locker room and i'm excited about uh, you know the addition of each of those young men and what they're going to bring to our team head coach mike norvell with us coach thanks so much for making time we'll talk again as we get to uh, the season at the end of the summer thanks so much i appreciate you pressing and go Knowles. thank you very much head coach mike norvell with us this morning thought it'd be fun to get kind of a snapshot of what his thoughts were after spring I didn't want to drill down into the, who's going to be starting quarterback. We don't know. So I didn't want to ask the predictable. Anyway, what? I'm He's the guy. I'm telling you. He's going to get FSU pointed in the right direction, folks. And a big development followed that interview later in the week when the committee put together by John Thrasher recommended not changing the name of Doak Campbell Stadium. That is good news for Seminole Boosters and their fundraising efforts. All right, back with more, as I was saying. Welcome back to As I Was Saying. You know, I have been getting a lot of great comments and email about my post-millennial producer of the morning show with Preston Scott, which reminds me, if you have anything you want to share, just shoot me a note. Preston at iHeartRadio.com. That's Preston at iHeartRadio.com. Speaking of the post-millennial. Good morning. I'm Grant Allen, and here's how I see it. Courtesy of Not the Bee. Everyone claiming that critical race theory and critical theory are no big deal need to read this. These kinds of stories are multiplying. Here's your must-read thread of the day from Twitter. Someone named Grace posted on Twitter, I've wondered if it's worth sharing my story. I'm a pretty private person, but I think I'm going to go for it. Uh, my husband and I founded a justice or a justice-oriented nonprofit organization 11 years ago. At the time, we knew nothing about critical social justice or critical theory. Our motivation was simply to address disparities in mental health care. A few years ago, we started to notice a tone shift among our program staff. They became hypercritical of everything. Everything kind of in quotation marks as well as like capitalized to emphasize literally everything that they were doing. As executive director, my husband felt he was always on trial. Every word and action was scrutinized. We couldn't figure out where this was coming from. We noticed shared rhetoric and, and terms of word usage among the staff. Words like systems of power and oppression hegemony, marginalized identities, uh, 
intersections, centering, deconstruct, knowledges, normativity. They didn't understand the ideology behind it, but they started to do some more reading. We began having all organization sessions trying to discern what was happening and what was needed. It was quickly apparent there were no specific actions or incidents, uh, and the accusations were always vague and abstract, uh, and abstract about identities and systems and all those buzzwords that they listed before. What also became apparent quickly was that they didn't want to resolve any real harm. They wanted control. They stated explicitly, my husband was incapable of running an organization that addresses trauma, the same organization he founded, because he is a straight, white, Christian male. I wrote organizational positional papers on how critical social justice compromised our work by being in direct conflict with a number of our individual commitments, namely evidence-based data valuing the individual cultural humility and allowing for true diversity. When a staff member said I couldn't speak on a topic because I'm straight, I told her it was wrong of her to assume about my sexuality just because I'm married to a man, and she immediately groveled. Open war is upon us. There is no safe anymore. Uh, Thank you for reading my story. What is this? What is critical social justice? And then the article from Not the Bee um, uh, reads, Marxism is here. Gear up. What is critical theory, critical social justice theory? Those terms have started to get thrown around more and more in the coming months, really after the George Floyd incident and more people started having conversations about race and who can be involved in the conversation about race, because apparently white people are not. And that is one of the presuppositions of critical race theory. Critical race theory is a Marxist ideology that came out of the Frankfurt School of Thought. The Frankfurt School was a group of philosophers, political theorists um, in Germany at the time, uh, coming out of the post-war era, having to reassess of how successful are they going to be because they had seen failed revolution um, in Russia, all across the Eastern Com Bloc, poverty in the Soviet Union. And they were like, all right, we got to rethink this. And so they came up with critical theory, and it has devolved into critical race theory or critical social justice. The idea that everything about Western society has to be deconstructed. Everything. Everything is based on race. And white people are unable to see their implicit bias. They have to be told about their implicit bias by a person of color, of African-American or uh, AAPI, Asian-American, Pacific Islander, or Hispanic. They're incapable of finding their own bias in their own life. That's critical race theory. And that they elevate one people group over another simply off of the basis of intersectionality. Are you an oppressed person or are you an oppressor? And in critical race theory, the oppressors are white, Christian, male, and so on and so forth. You are the oppressor and you are unable to be a part of the conversation. If you start to hear someone use the phrase social justice and things like oppression and intersectionality, ask them what they're talking about because I don't think they do. And if they do, flee from it. I'm Grant Allen, and that's how I see it. Sound News, oh, James Madison Institute, affectionately known as JMI, here on the morning show. And the budget 
They have to have it in the hands of lawmakers by Tuesday? Tuesday. Yep. Uh, cooling off period of three days if they want to finish on time on, on Friday. And and they can't make changes without extending the session. Correct. Once it's laid on the desk, it is laid on the desk with the implementing bill that corresponds to it. Uh, it's a term they kind of it, it rests on the desk for three days. They cannot touch it uh, and do anything to it. If they if something pops up, if if a change has to be made, they will have to retake it all up and uh, and repass it through uh, the conference committee and then and then extend the session. And that includes a misprint. Oh, yeah. Like if they've misprinted and 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 interchanged a number, they got to redo the whole thing. 72 hours miss a decimal point yeah miss a zero anything at all yep so it seems sal from a, a layman's perspective which would be mine having watched this for about 20 years now um the sessions it appears this has gone very quietly it, it's gone fairly smoothly and i will uh say it it's largely been a function of an additional 10 billion dollars that was flowing from the federal government that plugged a whole lot of holes uh that they were going to have to make some tough decisions on uh initially at the start of the session there were discussions um <laughs> which of course is money we don't have anyway yeah, well but yeah we're, we're not making a judgment call on who's paying no that, i am that, but that's that okay could, yeah uh, I, and i'm with you on that but um uh, there were discussions of some serious cuts to hospitals to uh healthcare programs that the state kind of funds through ACA, the Agency for Healthcare Administration and the Department of Health, um, those those are not going to get cut. Uh, it, they've reached uh, kind of agreements on those. There was discussion about through the Department of Corrections, whether they were going to potentially w- either close or what they call mothball a couple of prisons, which is where they just bring them down, transfer the the, the inmates to other facilities, and then uh, and then go from there. That's not going to happen. There's talk of maybe one later on down the year if the prison population continues to decline. Uh, that's not going to happen. Uh, the, the cuts are not going to happen. So um, it's gone fairly smoothly. The conference committee met on uh, Saturday. I don't think they met yesterday and they're going to be back at it today any significant policy laws coming out this week yeah in fact there's a few uh that we kind of uh qualify as either the planes are landing the planes are coming in uh turbulently or the planes are crashing and, and burning and so um yeah on the landing side you've got uh one of the tech bills uh the deplatforming bill it does look like that's going to get uh through and make it to the governor's desk um You've also got uh, some serious home-based businesses reforms for small businesses that are operating out of their home. The House has uh, been fairly uh, aggressive in trying to make sure that entrepreneurs are not kind of stifled by local ordinances and local like uh, local rules and uh, stuff uh, such like that. Uh, and then the big one is going to be the school choice expansion. Uh, that's one where it does appear as though the Senate is agreeing to the House term, which I was actually wrong on. Um, I thought it was going to be that the the House agreed to the Senate, but there's a very important distinction, and it makes sense to me. I was speaking with Bill Maddox, our education policy director. You have a a large number of uh, schools, private schools in the state, classical academies, that by their principles will not take government money, i.e. will not take a school voucher. 
However, the tax credit scholarship program is not technically government money because it's before the money gets to the treasury. And so they're going to keep the tax credit scholarship program separate for now. That way, those classical academies are not kind of subject to having to figure out what do they do at that point. Makes a whole lot of sense. And they're going to pass that, I believe, today, and it'll go to the governor's desk. Oh, there were some twists and turns later in the week in the legislative session, and we will catch you up on all of it in extended kind of recap of the session Monday with Sal News of the James Madison Institute on the morning show with Preston Scott. We'll do that in the third and final hour beginning at 8.05. Hope you enjoyed the program today. Remember, if you want to share anything, Preston at iHeartRadio.com. Suggestions, thoughts, ideas, comments, opinions, feel free. We'll be back next Saturday with another recap, or we'll go into the vault and pull out some issues. Who knows what will be coming as we continue the thoughts of the week before on As I Was Saying. Have a great day. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.